Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Don't look too enthused about that. Amen. Revel- huh? <laughs> Put her in gear. Revelation 16. Let's see if we can endeavor to make it through the chapter of 16. Amen. Here this evening. Amen. I'm going to start reading with the first four verses here tonight, and then uh, we'll take them in sections, sections at a time, if we may. So good to have our guest with us tonight. Can we make them feel welcome? Amen. So thankful for them that are here as well. Amen. This evening in the house of the Lord. Revelation 16, verse number 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it came and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. Number four, uh, verse four, and the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters and they became blood tonight very simply the seven vials that is our subject matter that is our focus here that's the focus of chapter 16 it contains all seven of them and let's see what we can do here this evening amen with the help of the lord father i love you jesus this evening i pray oh god that you're able to help us and understanding god to glean from your word tonight I pray, O oh Lord, that you're able to speak to us, God, through your word. I pray, Jesus, enlighten us, bring understanding. God, let something said, Lord, help someone. If nothing else, Lord, as Peter spoke, he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, he persuaded men. And so, God, help us in that, Lord, aspect tonight. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Everybody say great. Great. Great is an important word in the book. Or in the chapter 16 of Revelation, uh, very important, about eight times uh, the word great is used just in Revelation 16. So that's an important word for uh, this particular chapter. As a matter of fact, if you will remember last week, we finished up chapter number uh, 14 and did all of 15. And whenever we looked at chapter 15, 15 was nothing more but making preparations for this chapter right here. What we learned in 15 were the angels parading out of the temple of God each of them being given a vial by one of the four creatures that were around the throne of God, and uh, they were given them for the purpose of what's happening right here in chapter 16. Now the pouring out of the vials. But just not vials, it's just not water, but the Bible portrays what's in the vials is the wrath, or we might even further say the complete, the complete wrath of God upon the earth is happening right here. So uh, we've been working up to this point in time. We had... We've had, if I could say it like this, partial wrath of God, uh, segmented wrath of God, but this is it in its completeness now. It's said and done. We had the, the seals and the trumpets, and now the vials. There is no, no more seal, no more trumpet, no more vial when the seventh vial has been uh, poured out. And so these vials are uh, literally contained within the seventh trumpet. At this blowing of the seventh trumpet came the unfurling, if you will, of the seven vials. And this is making a stretch, but if you'll remember, there were three woes in scriptures, and each of those woes were the last uh, three trumpets. 
And so really this being a part of the seventh trumpet, the seven vials being part of the seventh trumpet, this brings to completeness the last and final woe that we read of probably in Revelation uh, 8 and, and 9. So again, there's no other, no, no other vials, nothing else coming after these are completed. And so as we go through these vials, you'll probably begin to recognize something. Uh, those that have been with us along on the journey, and you'll begin to recognize that there's some likenesses to what's happening in these vials compared to what happened in some of the trumpets. There's some things that are very similar. For that matter, if you stretch way back to the Old Testament, again, you'll see some of the Old Testament plagues that God placed upon Egypt. Again, once again, being mirrored to a certain degree in some of these vials that are uh, going to come about. And so let's just jump right on in. Uh, verse number 2 relates to you and I, the first vial that is poured out. The Bible says out of this vial there's poured, poured out and there's a noisome, which just basically means a very bad or very wicked or very evil. There's a noisome and grievous a very lewd and malicious sore that comes upon the people that have taken his mark or have fell down and worshipped the beast. Now, when we talk about a grievous or noisome sore, this is very similar, as a matter of fact, uh, even with the words that are used. This is very similar uh, to the boils that came upon Egypt in the Old Testament, one of the plagues that came upon the Egyptians before the Israelites were released from their Egyptian bondage. But these horrid sores, these horrific sores, fell upon those, note who it fell upon, those that had the mark of the beast, whether that be the mark, the number, or the name, and those that worshipped the image of the beast. And what that tells you and I is this, that that little uh, bit of information, that it fell upon those that had the mark or worshipped the beast, what this tells this us is this. It confirms that these seven vials occur late in that time period that we call the Great Tribulation. Because this is not coming until people have taken the mark. This is not happening until people have fell down and worshipped the beast. And all the way back in Daniel when we knew the confirmation of the covenant started this seven-year process. And at the middle of that seven years, three and a half years in, he would break the covenant and re really rear his head. That would be the point of time where this whole dynamic of uh, the false prophet would try to get people to worship the image of a beast or taking of the name, the number, or, or, or the mark of the beast. So all of these vials take place then after that midpoint because that horrible sore from the first vial is going to be upon those that have already taken it's not those that are signing up for it. It's those that have already taken uh, the mark, have already fell down and worshipped the beast. So it kind of gives us a little bit of a timeline then. They had the, the, the false prophet and the Antichrist will have already been exposed at this particular point in time. Amen. And uh, Mr. Morris and, and several others just kind of touch on this, not going to remain here long, but just kind of touch on this because whenever I was uh, uh, growing up, and I'm still growing up, <laughs> Whenever I was growing up, uh, there was speculation that the first vial that was poured out upon the earth and these that had already taken the mark or the number, that these sores would be a result of the mark, meaning uh, a lot of people propagated that the mark would be a microchip. It may be. It might not be. All right. But a lot of people speculated that it would be a microchip and as a, as, as a result of having that microchip in your body, it would produce a boil. That, that was the speculation of the day that I grew up in because a lot of the microchips in that day had lithium batteries. 
they did not do well with the, physio- the physiology of a human being. And even in their test upon rats and other animals, it, it, it formed a malignant tumor upon the body wherever the chip was inserted. So if someone had it within their right hand or their forehead, uh, they, they made the speculation that perhaps uh, this sore coming upon them was a result of that. Well, you know, that's a pretty good, uh, uh, I guess, venue. But the way that the Scripture deems this, the way that the Scripture deems this is that these, these sores fell upon the people. They fell upon the people, these sores. So evidently, this mass sore thing is coming upon the people very suddenly, uh, very universally, so seemingly all at the same time. And so the, what it comes down to is this. God can do whatever God wants to do. Uh, he don't need, even need the aid of a chip. He can cause boils or sores that's grievous and noisome to come upon everybody that take the mark at the same time universally. And so God can do what God wants to do. And let me tell you, whenever he's showing off his wrath, he's going to let you know he can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And so that is the first vial. So if you've taken in this day, if you, you, you were alive or those Jews that were alive and did not claim Jesus as their Messiah and they're still bucking against the Lord and taking the mark, uh, these, all of a sudden, imagine waking up one morning or during the night, all of a sudden you have these horrible sores all over your body that are just, just evil and wicked and malicious and probably hurt. And boom, here it is. The wrath of God within its completeness is being poured out. Verse number three, the second vial is poured out. And all the sea is as the blood of a dead man. And to add insult to injury, every living thing in the sea died. Now, this is where the likenesses come into some of the trumpets, if you'll remember. Uh, But here, God's wrath is complete. It's not partial. Earlier, uh, in the trumpets of Revelation 8, the second trumpet, a third of the sea turned to blood. A third of the creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. But here, the remainder, whatever's left, all of the sea is blood. All of the creatures within the sea are affected. It is complete. And you'll notice this again with some of the other vials that there are uh, similarities to the trumpets. But in the vials, they are all encompassing. They're not part, they're not partial. They are all in Compassing. The trumpets were partial, but the vials are complete. And so since, since the first vial affected those who took the mark or those who fell down and worshipped the beast, me personally, I believe that the sea is a reference to all seas and not just the Mediterranean Sea and not just the sea that's in the Middle East region because there will be people in locations all over the world that will have succumbed to the mark and worship the beast all over the world, not just regulated to the Middle East. So the wrath of God that's being poured out isn't just going to be to the locality of the Middle East. It's going to be to the whole world wide over. And if you'll remember, one of the plagues back in Egypt, again, we see these things mirrored, was water being turned to blood. The death of the fish in particular of the Nile River. And think here for a moment. If during the trumpets a third of the sea went to blood and a third of the animals died, no doubt that stunk. If all of the water is blood, and the I mean a a greater portion of the earth is water, if all of the water of the seas is blood, folks, that's going to stink. For that matter, everything that's living in the sea is dead now. 
And these are all, they're not floating underneath the water now. Yeah, they're floating on the surface of the water. They're, they're decaying, an awful, no doubt, hovering smells now in the air due to this bloody water and the death that has occurred in the water. So you got all these life forms. Think about it, mammals, orcas, whales, huge sharks laying on top of the water, being subject to decay, the, the, below, the sun helping below those bodies on top of the masses and masses of the sea, just baking them on a... It's not just even clean water. They're baking them on already bloody water. And so now everywhere where everybody wants to go, let's go to the beach. But now as the tide comes in and comes out, it's washing carcasses of the living things of the water along the beachfront of those seas as the tide goes in and out. And what do we have now? We have, I'm just thinking as a, as a human being here, okay? What do we have now? We have a proliferation of insects that are wanting to come down upon all this deadness upon the sea and scavenger birds coming down on all of this deadness of the sea, drinking this bloody soup, decaying flesh, a sea that's all around. And with that, I'm just going through a, a mindset of reasoning, highly probable now there's an increase in disease because of the insects and the scavenger birds feeding on all this stuff that they're carrying it here and there. And how are ocean-going vessels going to navigate with all of this garbage, all of these dead bodies up on the sea, it's going to be a catastrophe. Amen. It's going to hurt commerce somewhat. The travel is going to be very difficult. And for all the seafood lovers, the seafood market's closed. Amen. One aspect where people get their food is closed. So, living in that day, you have, I couldn't even begin to imagine. I know how just blood that's around for a while from one animal smells, let alone... You, you always wanted beachfront property. You wouldn't want one that day. I have a feeling real estate's going down. Man, but this is just... You can only imagine how awful. I don't know if there's any part of uh, the world that would be able to escape the smell that would be in the air from such a mass body of water and all the dead that would be in the body. What kind of cleanup? What, what really kind of effort could you put in to clean up all the seas of the world? It's complete. God's judgment is complete. Vial number three, verses four through seven. The Bible says the rivers and the fountains of water become blood. You just thought you had enough water blood. It's not all blood yet. That was salt water, the seas. But now we have the rivers and the fountain water that becomes blood. The drinking water, your potable water is now blood. Once again, if you remember, God's wrath is complete here because earlier in the trumpets, trumpet number three, a third of the fresh water became wormwood or it became poisonous, poisonous. But now that was a third. Now all of the drinking water, all inclusive, is going to become blood. So we have salt water, all of our salt water, all of our fresh water is contaminated. It's blood. And so now man's existence is being threatened at this point in time because now he's without potable water. And you, you, you know, you read sometimes about people's hoarding for the end of the day. Let me tell you something. You can't hoard enough water that's going to supply what you need once all the salt water and fresh water is no longer potable. Amen. And all those sources are contaminated. And so uh, that will only last for so long, whatever you got storehoused in your house. And, and, and lest men would start to think 
that God in his wrath is being unfair. Now let's think about all the mercy that God's had up to this point in time. Let's think how merciful God's been up to this point in time. How many chances, opportunities for repentance that he has provided up to this point in time. Unless any man think that God is being unfair, whenever you look at verses 6, verses 5 and 6 and 7, there's a couple of angels that kind of pipe up. One is called the angel of the waters. And there's another angel, the angel that comes from the altar. And they basically cry out to God and they're doing this in case men would think he's being unfair. God, you're righteous. You're just. You're true. Your judgments are good. Your judgments are right. God, all of these people that this is happening to, they have shed the blood of the saints. They have shed the blood of the prophets. Amen. In other words, history shows us they've been thirsty for blood. So that's what you've given them to drink. You've given them blood to drink. They've been thirsty for blood. Well, here you go. Here's just some blood to drink. The Bible says in Genesis 18.25, and I'm saying this concerning uh, the, the, the justice of God. This is concerning Sodom and Gomorrah whenever Abraham was speaking about God. If you do it for 10 righteous or if, you know, starting the countdown, 50, 45, 40, you know, that he did with God concerning if you'll be that many righteous, will you save him? The Bible says that be far from thee, Abraham is telling God, to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. In other words, God, you're not going to take the righteous down with the wicked. You're going to have the righteous set aside, and you're going to take the wicked. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And that is our God. The judge of all the earth does right. A lot of times, sometimes, I say a lot of times, whenever we are in instances of funerals and things that are... Um, in the air, people want to put, want you to put somebody in heaven or somebody in hell. And, you know, they come with these things. I say, hey, shall not the judge of the earth, shall not the judge of the earth do right? It's in the hands of a just God where their destiny is going to be. And that is largely uh, attributed to how they've lived their life while they've been upon this earth. But I just let them know they're in the hands of a just God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In Revelation 16 and 7, the Bible says, going in verse number 7, I heard another out of the altar. So here's that other voice of the other angel out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. This is the angel from the altar. We've had interaction with this angel from the altar. What I believe is happening here, the angel speaking all this, the angel saying, Yeah, the martyrs, the martyrs are getting their vengeance on the ones that have slain them and taken their blood. Again, remember, back in Revelation 6, the martyrs are crying out from under the altar, how long, Lord, is it going to be until you take vengeance on those that have taken advantage of us? And so the, the angel of the altar here comes forth and he's endorsing what's happening right now. There's been prayers of the saints on top of the altar. There's been the martyrs that have cried underneath the altar. Uh, the last chapter we've seen the angel of the Lord beg that the harvest of the tares would happen. And now the angel says, God, everything that you're doing is exactly what needs to be done like God needed that. But he's just rallying God on with his pom-poms. Go, God. Go, God. The wrath is going to come. It's going to take forth. You're doing what is right. You're righteous. You've given them plenty of chances. You've extended a lot of mercy. This is all well and right. The fourth vial, verses 8 through 9. And there's, there's not a whole lot of information given on these vials, so I'm not going to just make something stretched out for the purpose of stretching it. 
And as a result of that, some people say, well, the vials go through, and if they come, they're going to come real quick. I'd like to know what scripture basis they have that for. I don't know if they're going to be quick, if they're going to be slow, if they'll take months, or if they'll take days. I don't know. I don't have nothing that tells me that. I don't know what's telling them that, but it's, I don't have nothing that tells me that. So I don't know how fast these are going to go. But in the fourth vial, verses 8 through 9, the vial is poured out on the sun. All right? As a matter of fact, according to some of the best manuscripts, it says that it was given to him, him meaning the sun, to scorch the men with fire. Again, going backwards to the trumpets, the fourth trumpet, the Bible says a third of the sun, moon, and stars were affected. They were darkened. The sun was darkened for a third part of the day. The moon and the stars were darkened for a third part of the night. All right? But now, what was a third of the sun, now there is the whole sun not becoming dark, but it's becoming more brilliant and intense with heat. So where it kind of decreased a little bit, now it increases with vengeance. And the very thing, because all throughout history, people had this, uh, this idea and concept, they love to worship the sun. There's still a lot of people that do that. As a pagan god, they worship the sun. And so now some of the, 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 the very thing that some men worship is going to be the source of their cursing. Uh, something else uh, will happen immediately. So if the sun, if the sun is hotter, all right, here's something else going to happen. And again, we're just reasoning here. If the sun is hotter, and this is something they even talk about today. Uh, they talk about global warming and all this stuff. Well, folks, this is truly glo global warming right here. <laughs> global warming in an instant. And just listen to if what they say happens when, per se, global warming does happen. This is absolutely global. Warming. If that's so, whenever things get hotter, the sun gets hotter, you know what happens? It melts the ice caps that are in the world. And upon the melting of the ice caps, scientists tell us, instantaneously the seas will rise 200 feet in elevation. Now look now, we're not talking about clean water. We're talking about bloody Seas that have the carcasses of all the living in them all around that's been decaying for however long and putrid and so on and so forth. Ice caps melt. Elevation of the water goes up 200. What was the shoreline is now encroached upon maybe even the cities and towns with the bloody decaying residue from the water because the sun has gotten hot. And so with this, with this, and, and I'm talking... We're not talking about a few feet, folks. If the elevation of the water, they say, would rise 200 feet, we're talking about going encroaching miles into where the normal line would have been of the shore. Miles into. Maybe even drowning some, somebody. You think drowning in water is bad? Drowned in bloody carcass soup. And so this heat is so intense, it's not just melting that, but, but it, it's touching these. It, the Bible says it's scorching these men. Scorching. It's hot enough you ever been burnt yeah, to a certain degree the sun's going to be hot enough that it will scorch the skin of men amen just all alone by itself and so what happens though reason with me what happens when you get hot and you start to sweat you become thirsty but you don't have fresh water or salt water to quench your thirst the wrath of God it's being poured out. It's becoming complete. There's nothing fit to drink. 
And so we're at this point, all this stuff happening. What do you think would be the proper response to all of this trouble? Well, what we read their response was they blasphemed the name of God. You would think that you would be on your face pleading for mercy or just for an iota of something. Just give us a little rainfall or something that I can put my tongue out and get a drop on it. But that's not the case. They continue to blaspheme the name of God. For that reason, the scripture says the name of God that has the power over these plagues. They're blaspheming the one that has the power to control what's happening to them and what's going on in their life. That's the reason why you think, well, some people, you know, uh, well, well, some people have this idea, you know, that hell is not an eternal fire. You're just going to go there and that there's a possibility once you get there, you can change your mind, make things right with God, and you can go to heaven. Well, let me tell you this. If people are living on the earth and all this havoc is happening to them and they still go on and blaspheme the name of God, they're not going to be in a mindset in hell to make things right. They're going to just continue to blaspheme. Mm -hmm. They're just going to continue to blaspheme. Amen. They will not repent. The Bible says they did not and they will not. They will, they will not repent. And so their response is very similar then to how Pharaoh in the Old Testament with the plagues of Egypt responded. He's like, okay, I changed my mind. I'm going to let you all go. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it. And so when he did not change his mind, the Bible says his heart became hardened. The Bible says in Exodus 8 and verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not to them as the Lord had said. Plagues are coming. They have the bulls and the flies and the frogs and, and the water being turned to blood and all this havoc that's happened to him. But... Instead of changing his mind, he just hardens his heart. What's he doing? He's just blaspheming God, not repenting. The Bible says in Exodus 9, verse 34, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more. As soon as he saw one of them let up, he went back to his sinning. As soon as he seen one plague come and go, he went back to his sinning and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh... Verse 35, was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. That's what happened to these people in these days. Here comes boils. Here comes all the water of the sea and the, those in the sea dead. Here comes their drinking water, blood. Here comes, uh, here comes the scorching heat from the sun. What in the world do you think would happen? Blasphemy, that's what's happening. And it goes even beyond seemingly our mind's comprehension. And then vial number five, verses 10 through 11 you can just kind of throw those up there because we haven't read them. Verses 10 and 11, the Bible speaks that in this vial, there is poured out darkness upon the seed of the beast and upon the kingdom of the beast. There's darkness that came back in the Egyptian plagues. Darkness covered the earth. Well, darkness is going to come on the kingdom of the beast and the seed of the beast. And what a contrast. God is really playing with them, folks. He really is. On one hand, we have an intensified sun in the last vial that's scorching men's flesh. And then God flips the coin over and now removes all of the light and there's darkness that is pervading the land. Now he replaces it nothing but darkness. At the sounding, going backwards a little bit in chapters 8 and 9, at the sounding of the fifth trumpet, the first woe, the bottomless pit was opened and the smoke from the pit caused there to be a darkened sun, the Bible said, and the air was darkened. That's part and partial. This is, it's all completely dark. And the Bible says people are gnawing their tongues for the pain. 
You ever bit your lip or anything like that? Whenever you had a little twinge of pain, well, honey, it's going to be unlike you ever thought. I remember as I was growing up, the teaching then, and I, I don't think there's any per se record for this, but the teaching then was, man, people, some of them will be biting their tongues in half because of the pain so bad. But that don't have no scripture that tells me their tongues were bitten in half. But nevertheless, I guess if your pain got bad enough, you could. Uh, but they said they were gnawing their tongues for the pain. What pain? Well, the pain from the scorching of the heat. Uh, the pain from the boils, the, the sores upon their bodies, the pain from uh, dehydration, uh huh, the dizziness and everything that goes around with the symptoms of dehydration, all those things that if all of that, just knowing, you know, because when there's stuff like that happening, you start getting, you get a little nervous, you get a little anxious. Man, they're just gnawing their tongue, trying to deal with it the best that they can, and so they're gnawing on their tongue as a result of the pain. And what do they do? They blaspheme God yet the more and again underscored there is no repentance. File number 6, verses 12 through 16. Allow me to read these, if you will. We're going along pretty well. I'm feeling good about it. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. That's really making reference to the battle of Armageddon. Behold, I come as a thief. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. Verse number 15. If you, if you have a red letter Bible, you notice Jesus is speaking right here in the now modern day. This is not happening in John's vision. This is God just kind of giving a reminder back in 24 or 94, 96 AD when this was written, written given a reminder, behold, I come as a thief. You know, for everybody that's reading this, all the churches of that hour that have ability to read this and you're healing all this whore, there's still hope for you because I'm not come yet. Not even come with my rapture yet. Behold, though I do come as a thief, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest we walk naked and they see his shame. And verse 16, and he shall gather them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Vial number six, the Euphrates River is dried up. At the sounding, backwards, at the sixth trumpet, the second woe, the Bible spoke that there were four angels that were released from the Euphrates river that had been bound at the great river Euphrates and so some people try to take the sixth trumpet and the sixth vial and they mesh them together and they correspond but that ain't necessarily the case the release of the four angels during the six trumpets it led to an attack of myriad of 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 demonic horses if you remember these horses had a description that wasn't like the common horse. They had the tail of a serpent. They had, I don't remember, the, the head was kind of like a lion, I think it was. But they, they, were not your, <laughs> they were not your average pony, all right? And they had a demonic description, if you check back at Revelation 9. And they killed a third of mankind, all right? No such effect is mentioned of here in the sixth vial. Instead, it just speaks that the Euphrates River is dried up so that the king's from the east may cross to the west. 
And if you'll remember, going back to the sixth trump, the Bible spoke of those 200,000 thousand or 200 million. Some people want to take it as a literal number. Maybe it is, or maybe it's a figurative number. Nevertheless, it described those, and it described the locusts. You remember the locusts? All these things were not your normal, your normal description. They were of a demonic kind, demonic host, all right? But nevertheless, so when the Euphrates River here in the sixth vial, it's dried up so that the kings of the east can come across uh, toward going toward the west. And the river Euphrates is called the Great River because, in fact, it is. The Euphrates River is a very great river. Uh, they say it's 1,800 miles long. That's a great river. It runs from north to south. Uh, it's headwaters. Now, just think with me here for a moment. Uh, it's place where its source of water comes from is Mount Ararat. That's where the source of its water come from. Anybody remember Mount Ararat or the ark uh-huh, that Noah built rested on Mount Ararat? Amen. Mount Ararat. It's somewhere. Mount Ararat is about 1,700 feet in elevation. It stays snow. Listen to me. It stays snow-capped all year long. And as it trinkles, as there's some parts that melt, that feeds into the Euphrates River. And it flows downhill, then finally out into uh, the, 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 the Gulf of the Arabian Sea and so on and so forth. Here's the thing. If the sun gets hot, mm-hmm, that it's capable of melting the ice caps because of the intensity of the sun from vial number four, then the ice caps on Mount Ararat will melt leaving the Euphrates River overflowing. In other words, having more water in it than what it would normally have, overflowing its bank, hindering more the kings of the east being able to come across them. But God cannot just dry up a normal Euphrates River. He can dry up an overflowing with water Euphrates River, which does nothing more... Not only is God bringing his wrath, he's showing his power, folks. He's pulling back the curtain and he's flexing his muscles. I'm telling you, God is flexing his muscles. And so the question that comes is, who are the kings of the east? I don't know. And people say, well, they're the, they're the oriental people, they're the Japan, the Indians, the, the China people. Maybe they are. Uh, there's a lot of China's over that way, Japan's over that way, India's over that way. Maybe it is, but I do not know. People speculate about who the kings of the East are. As a matter of fact, I've came across every bit of 50 different interpretations who the kings of the East are. I don't know, neither do you, but God does. And I'll tell you this, here's what I do know. They're coming from the East. <laughs> They're coming from the East. And it must be, it must be pretty, uh, pretty massive in, in that God's going to dry up a river in order to make way for them to cross. When we look at, at verses 13 and 16, some see verses 13 through 16 as another one of those little intervals or, or, or parenthetical portions of the Scripture like we've seen some of the different chapters. <clears throat> some view them as a part of the sixth vial. Some just views them as extra information regardless okay I'm not going to decide is it a part of the sixth vow or is it just something parathetical regardless okay they concern three unclean spirits the Bible says that's like frogs now I think it's important to see where these three unclean spirits come from 
The origin of these three unclean spirits are, are the mouths of the dragon, the devil, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet. These three unclean spirits, one from each of these, dragon, beast, and false prophet. And these three foul unclean spirits are working in harmony. They're working in unison to draw the nations of the world to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. These three foul spirits are causing all the nations of the world to converge at a place for the purpose of the war of Armageddon to fight against the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. These may be what uh, Paul was speaking to Timothy about, some of those seducing spirits and doctrines of devils uh, that will be in the last days. But whenever you consider the spirits of these things, if you look at Revelation 12 and 7, they won't have it up there, but just for your reference, Revelation 12 and 7, whenever you read concerning the dragon, the spirit of the dragon is really rebellion. You see it displayed in Revelation 12 and 7. The spirit of the beast in Revelation 3 or 13, 6 is really the spirit of blasphemy. You see blasphemy coming from his mouth. In Revelation 13, 14, the spirit of the false prophet is deception. Remember, because he's going to deceive a whole religious world for following uh, the Antichrist. So we have three unclean spirits. Yes, rebellion, blasphemy, and deception that are going to be using their tools and their miracles of rebellion, blasphemy, and deception to allure the nations of the world to that great final battle. How in the world is this possible? It's possible because we have even history episode that shows it happened in history so it can happen in the future. In 1 Kings 22 and verse 20, I'll just read the instance of the story. 1 Kings 22 and verse 20. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? The Lord was, was needing something or someone in order to persuade Ahab to go up here for the purpose that he'll be killed. And one said on this matter, and another said on that matter, and then there came forth the Spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, wherewith? Or in other words, how? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also go forth and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. There was a lying spirit that got in the mouth of the prophets Ahab, persuaded him to go to Ramoth Gilead and he was going to his death. You're going to prosper up there, Ahab. Everything's going to be well. Rome, you're going to lose your life there. These uh, three unclean spirits, no doubt going to be persuading people, let's go to battle. You know, we, things have really turned around. We're really, <laughs> let me tell you, imagine how deceptive they're going to have to be after all these people already experiencing everything they've experienced from the vials to this point in time. They must be some really deceptive rascals. Here you are, haven't had any clean water for days. You got bowls on your body. Your skin's been scorched. And they're telling you, you can win them, buddy. You can go and fight. I'm just saying they must be very persuasive in order to allure with their rebellion, with their, with their, their blasphemy. You know, maybe they're just working on the anger of the people. You know, let's go just, you know, maybe they're going to use the leverage of the people's own anger and disdain that they have. You know, I don't know, but somehow they're going to allure these unclean spirits, gather all of these nations of the world to the great war or army, dead, Armageddon, as, as it's all time termed. Armageddon is a, is a Hebrew place name, meaning Mount or Hill of Megiddo. 
60 miles north of Jerusalem, up the valley, the Jordan Valley, is a mount called Mount Megiddo, or what would be known as Armageddon. And would you believe that historically that there have been over 200 battles that have been fought there along the lines of Mount, Mount Megiddo? Napoleon Bonaparte even said whenever he saw this area in this place, he called it the greatest battlefield he had ever seen. It must just be poised just right for the purpose of a battle. The outcome, though, of the battle of Armageddon we'll get into later in Revelation chapter number 19. So again, verse number 15, not necessarily a part of the vision. It's a word from Jesus in that day, in that hour, as John's writing. It's a word to the people. It's a word for the church uh, in that very hour, 94, 96 AD, when the book of Revelation was written by John. Hey, I'm coming as a thief. And notice he said, blessed is he that watcheth. That's one of those beatitudes of Revelation, the third beatitude of, uh, of Revelation. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments uh, because they're going to have rewards for them if you're watching and waiting for him to come and not surprise as if a thief would be coming. Number seven, vial number seven. Verses 17 through 21. Let me read these as well, if you will, tonight. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. We've heard these before. There was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. Now that sets it aside from any other. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup, of the wine, of the fierceness of his wrath. Note again, and we'll look at this more in like uh, chapter 18. Note again that great Babylon, it's, speaking, it's talking about these cities and then it goes straight to great Babylon and then it gives it a gender, her. We're not just talking about a city, we're talking about a system as well, all right? <clears throat> to give her the, the cup of the wine the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hell out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. We'll get to that in just a little bit. And men, here we go, blasphemed God because the plague of the hell. For the plague thereof was exceedingly great. So, Bible number seven's poured out. And what we have here. It's poured into the air, the Bible says. There's voices. We've seen those before. Thunderings, lightnings, a great earthquake, but, but one never like this earthquake. And the great city is divided. We'll look at that in here a little bit. And the other cities of the nations fell. Babylon's judge. Notice now concerning the islands and the mountains. The, island, the islands flee. The mountains are removed. In other words, the whole topography of the land of the earth is going to be altered. And there's going to be hailstones that fall from heaven that's the weight of a talent. A talent is 100 pounds. Now, you thought that, <laughs> that BB-sized hail that hit your windshield was something. You wake up a few days later and never wake up, you get hit by a 100-pound <laughs> hailstone that fell from heaven. Hell was one of the plagues even of Egypt as well. But it doesn't describe as though they were talents back then. So whenever this vial is poured out, there's a voice from heaven that says, it is done. It is done. In the Greek, it's in the perfect tense, which means this. It has been and will remain done. 
It's the, it's the finale of all finales. It is done. And so unlike, unlike, we've seen earthquakes before, unlike the earthquake that was at the beginning of the opening of the sixth seal, in which the Bible said every mountain and island were moved out of their places, they kind of moved, kind of jostled around. Now every island fled or flees and the mountains are no longer found. But in verse 19, the Bible goes on and says, the great city was divided into three parts. Now, you'll read certain versions of the Bible and they'll say Babylon was divided into three parts. Some believe that it was Babylon. But Babylon is named specifically a little later in this same verse. According to chapter 18, according to chapter 18, we know Babylon falls like all the other nations and their cities fall. But this great city is just described as being divided into three parts. I'm just putting out a presumption here tonight. Could the great city be Jerusalem? In Revelations 11:8, the Bible says their dead bodies shall lie in the street, speaking of the two witnesses of the great city, which spiritually is called, spiritually is called Sodom and Gomorrah, where also our Lord was crucified. Where our Lord was crucified, you'll remember, was Jerusalem. But it is spoken of in Revelation 11 as the great city. For that matter, consider the old prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 14, verses 4 through 5. The Bible says in his, speaking of Jesus' feet, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave or divide in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west and there shall be a very great valley and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azel yea ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Is this, is Zechariah speaking of this earthquake? Is this the earthquake Zechariah is speaking of, the one that we see in Revelation? And does Jesus' feet touching, just think, does Jesus' feet touching the Mount of Olives cause the earthquake and the events? The reason why, because Zechariah is describing the return of Jesus to the earth whenever he steps on the Mount of Olives the Mount of Olives that he left from years earlier. You'll remember in the opening of the book of Acts, in the opening of Acts chapter number 1, verse number 11, there's some that's watching Jesus as he ascends. And the Bible says, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And the Bible says, And then returned they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. He, he left the Mount of Olives and ascended to heaven. They said this same Jesus is coming back. Zechariah says his feet will come back and touch the Mount of Olives. And when it does, it's going to split. It's going to divide. Uh, could it be that when the Lord comes back and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, he will be the one called, the cause of this great earthquake to divide the great city and to cause the islands to flee and the, mountain, the topography of the land to change because the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ in bodily form, has come back. Amen. And no doubt this is probably though the vial, the seventh vial is the vial of wrath that brings about the destruction of Babylon because Babylon, again, came into the remembrance of the Lord. The Bible says all the other nations 
This great city, it splits, but all the other cities of the nations, they fall, all right? But the great city, it just splits. But Babylon, Babylon comes to remembrance, and we know it falls because chapter 18 tells us Babylon falls. And Babylon, all right, Babylon has never been totally destroyed. It's been, it's been conquered by other people, by the Medes and the Persians, all the way back in Daniel. It's been conquered, all right? There's been destruction, but it's never been totally destroyed. If I might just read Isaiah 13 from the Living Bible, it says Babylon will never rise again, speaking prophetically of a day. It spoke that Babylon would be the place where demons will come there to dance. In Isaiah 20, it spoke of, then I heard a voice shout out, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, which is what we see in Revelation 18, and all the idols of Babel lie broken on the ground. As a matter of fact, Babylon in the last days seems as though it will be a concentrated, inhabitable wasteland full of demons that was once the city of Babylon. Because in Revelation 18 and verse 2, when it speaks concerning Babylon the fall, it even says, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the greatest fallen is fallen and has come and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now back to these hailstones, all right? These big boys, 100-pound hailstones. In the Old Testament Levitical law, anybody that blasphemed the name of the Lord would to be stoned to death with literal stones. And here, perhaps, the blasphemers of the end time are stoned with 100-pound hailstones from heaven. Folks, that's the seven vials in a nutshell. But what we'll see in the weeks to come with chapter 17, 18, and 19 is basically this, and that is judgment is coming to the systems that Satan has implanted in the last days. Judgment is going to be coming to uh, the governmental and economic system, the political system he has. It's going to come to the religious system that he has, and it's going to come also to the military, if you will, system that he has. Chapter 17, 18, and 19. I'm telling you just ahead of time, we're probably going to have to walk a little slower with chapter 17 and probably chapter 18 for sure. 17, 18, probably going to be a little bit more slow go. So you just praise the Lord for tonight, getting through a chapter, but uh, just buckle down, amen, for the weeks to come. Because there are things in here that bear, they're going to need explanation, all right, and, and taking Scripture with Scripture uh, to give us greater understanding. Amen. But that's the seven vials. No more, no more seals, no more trumpets, no more vials. Now it's just judgment upon these individual systems. After you get judgment on these individual systems, man, you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. You have the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ. You have Satan being bound for a thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ. Then you have a new heaven and a new earth and just descriptions all about heaven for the rest of Revelation. And let me tell you, that's something to smile about after all this other garbage. I'm here to tell you right now. He knows really how to paint the picture, just give you all the horrible stuff and then say, here's heaven. Whoa! Be blowing out your socks off. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.